1532, five years after the death of its author, a short pamphlet was published. It was called Il Principe, and it detailed the way that an autocrat should handle his rise to power. In it, Machiavelli makes the case that the prince should spend his early days removing, by execution or banishment, all those who might be a threat to his power. This would allow the prince to consolidate power through an initial bloodbath that was likely to be forgiven by the people and by history as long as they're followed by periods of good rule by the prince. One of the examples that he uses of why you need to be vicious against anyone who makes himself an opponent is Julius Caesar. Because according to Machiavelli, and so many people in the future, Caesar was too kind to those he conquered. I think this is a woeful misreading of history, especially given the people who would participate in Caesar's assassination. But the fact that Caesar would be assassinated only one year after assuming absolute authority added fuel to fear that the autocrats would have for the ruled subjects, especially in Europe. One of the hardest things about history is trying to find lessons that stand up to the test of time. It is easier if you flatten out history and focus your consideration on the pieces of it that support your claim. But if Caesar's clemency contributed to his death, it also certainly contributed to his ability to win the Republic. Caesar established his bona fides for being clement early on. There was a specter who haunted Caesar's ambition, and that specter's name was Sulla. Because no matter how ambitious or power-hungry Caesar became, he was conscious of what had become of Sulla's legacy. Sulla was the only man to ever have as much power as Caesar wanted. And even though he had achieved all of that, Romans only a decade later really started to show their hatred of him. Caesar knew that whatever he would do, he could not wind up like Sulla. He would not wind up like Sulla. And so he chose to be as different as he could. Where Sulla had prescription lists of people who could be killed indiscriminately, Caesar would be gracious in victory. Against the tribes in Iberia or Gaul, he was far less murderous than many Romans would have been in his situation. He makes a really big deal out of this in the commentaries. I kind of doubt the Gallic people noticed. Even though he was more clement than most Romans would be in his position, he was also so much more successful as a general that he wound up killing more Gauls than anyone else. Like Jeff Bezos bragging about paying his workers at least $15 an hour. It would seem hollow if your business was destroyed by Amazon's unending hunger to control more of the market. But whether the Gauls and Iberians believed it or cared, the Romans believed in Caesar's clemency. So when Caesar returned to Rome and the Civil War got going, Caesar was already well known for his forgiveness and kindness to conquered armies. It was a reputation that he nurtured and guarded over the course of the war. His army would defeat a rival in battle, and Caesar would address the defeated troops. He would tell them that he hated spilling Roman blood. He would say that it was his deepest desire for them to return to their pre-Civil War lives. And they could do all of that 
as long as they laid down their arms and promised never to raise a sword against him again. For the soldiers, this was music to their ears, and often for the commanders too. Many rushed to take the oath, and I can't find any example of someone refusing to do it as a moral protest. I'm sure it happened, and they were probably executed very quickly. But Caesar did this to army after army, and word really got around. Cities that might have held firm, or armies that were in dire straits with food rations, considered surrendering much more easily. There were places that Caesar was able to conquer by reputation that it would have cost him thousands of lives to conquer by force. But of course, not everybody was happy with this. Because when people were allowed to return home free, there are fewer spoils of war. There were no prisoners of war to sell into slavery, no corpses to loot, and far less pillaging all around. And possibly, the worst piece of Caesar's clemency began to rear its head as the Civil War entered its third year. Because while every soldier who was left alive took an oath to never raise a weapon against Caesar again, many did not consider that oath binding. The army was having to refight people it had already defeated. And this was wearing on Caesar too. This policy designed to make Caesar definitely not Sulla was starting to hold him and his troops back. And towards the end of the Civil War, people weren't given as many second, or especially not third, chances. And Caesar hardened towards his enemies. But even from the word go, not everyone was excited to be forgiven by Caesar. For the average soldier, it was a nice turn from the normally harsh result of battle. But Caesar's clemency was more than just a PR move. It was a power grab. Because if you accepted Caesar's clemency, it meant that you accepted Caesar's right to give you clemency. Like John Marshall establishing the right of the Supreme Court to strike down laws as unconstitutional, Caesar's clemency established his right to pardon people for crimes. It gave Caesar ultimate authority. Cato despised the power grab so much that he committed suicide rather than give Caesar the satisfaction of pardoning him and turning him into just another dissenter living in Caesar's Rome. The fact that many Romans were living under the life debt to Caesar's forgiveness was frustrating. Some couldn't bear being in his debt and worked very hard to kill him, while others simply retired to hate Caesar in peace. Caesar would eventually win the Civil War because of, or possibly in spite of, his clemency. Probably it was a messy mixture of both because of and in spite of. Once victory had been achieved, the all-important task of governing came to the forefront. The thing about Civil War is that quite a number of very capable people had been on the other side at one time. Most notably for our consideration here, two men who are known to the history books as Cassius and Brutus. At one point, they fought for Pompey. And this is what the claim that Caesar's clemency is what got him killed will rest on. Because maybe if he had only killed Cassius and Brutus rather than forgive them and give them power, he would have lived longer. But these two men did not work alone. And possibly, 
the most important conspirator, the most useful conspirator, was a man named Decimus Junius Brutus. And he was a cousin of the other Brutus. Decimus wasn't a forgiven foe. He was one of Caesar's closest friends. He was a man who truly had the dictator's trust. And he was the only one placed to know whether Caesar suspected anything. Or what Caesar's schedule would be. Brutus would be the heart of the conspiracy, but Decimus was the tactician. And he never showed any remorse about betraying a man who was supposedly his friend. Because he didn't betray Caesar on some ideological cracks, which divided people into Caesarian partitions or optimates. He betrayed Caesar because of his ambition and his thirst for power. Decimus was pragmatic, and he saw that the dictator swallowing up every role in front of him and deciding who would succeed him was probably going to leave Decimus more out in the cold than if Decimus got to fight for the power himself. And he might have been the one who started the conspiracy against Caesar. That varies from historian to historian. Some historians say that Decimus was approached by Brutus and Cassius. Others say that Brutus and Cassius were approached by Decimus. Either way, Decimus acted swiftly. I've said that autocrats would interpret Caesar's clemency as the reason for his downfall for centuries. Well, the truth is that autocrats rarely need much incentive to believe that there are plots against their life. Caesar's clemency has allowed people to debate his goodness to this day. Maybe his clemency was fully amoral, a political calculation that was designed to both give him more power and win more armies to his side. Maybe his clemency was based on some deep desire to be a good man. Maybe he was a good man in very hard times. I think the most important legacy of his clemency is that it preserved Rome. Because the Civil War killed a lot of people. There was work to be done after Caesar's death. And if he had purged as heavily as Sulla had, or with the vengeance that Augustus would employ, he might have wound up with a Rome completely devoid of competent administrators. And a Rome devoid of competent administrators is a Rome that is far more likely to fall. It means nothing to hold ultimate authority if your country falls into financial ruin because of your authority. I know everybody's afraid of North Korea, but it's not like they are a serious competitor on the world stage. And if Caesar had caused Rome to fall earlier than it had, well, then there would have been no one to argue over whether his clemency was a good thing or a bad thing. I think that's the message to remember. Thank you and have a nice day.